The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Hey, Tim! George, you know Tim Watley. Yeah, dentist of the stars. What's up? I'll tell you what's up. I'm a Jew. Excuse me? I'm a Jew. I finished converting two days ago. Oh, well. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Thanks. So I'll see you tomorrow? Yeah, I have a cavity lower left. Hey, uh, were you just at the health club? Oh, yeah. No, we must have just missed you. Oh, well, I didn't do much. I just sat in the sauna. You know, it was more like a Jewish workout. <laughs> That's it. Elaine, the guy's Jewish two days. He's already making Jewish jokes. So what? When someone turns 21, they usually get drunk the first night. Booze is not a religion. Tell that to my father. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 21st, 2023. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. At a time when the refrain of peace on earth, goodwill towards men should ring supreme, humanity continues to demonstrate that this appears to be an unattainable ideal. Particularly since October 7th, the conflict between Israel and Hamas has dominated the world stage, and over the past week, Robert has taken the opportunity to discuss that conflict with a new guest star show. Irving Weisdorf, who as a secular Jew himself, brings a new perspective to our greater discussion. And throughout today's broadcast, except for the odd comedy clip, the balance of our audio bites have been taken from a November 17 edition of JTV, Jewish Ideas, on which an ex-Hamas supporter named Sohail Ahmed offers his own chilling testimony to what you'll be hearing from our guest today. It all begins right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Our guest today is Irving Weisdorf, who was a Jewish-Canadian businessman. He's a University of Toronto graduate in political science and economics. He studied in Strasbourg at the Institut des Etudes Politiques and is president of the Mozud Freedom Foundation, a not-for-profit organization formed in 2015 to promote Canadian values, individual rights and responsibilities, equality before the law, freedom of speech, association and religion, respect for women, democracy and freedom, responsible environmentalism, and to fight violence, intimidation and terror against innocent people anywhere in the world. Welcome, Irving. Glad to have you with us. Thank you very much, Robert. Pleasure to be here. Can you give us um, uh, a synopsis, if you will, of your personal history, especially as it relates to the ongoing and seemingly never-ending conflict in the Middle East? Well, my parents came from uh, Poland, both of them between the wars. 
My father arrived in 1936. He was the only one of his family to come to Canada. And about 23 members of our immediate family was slaughtered in the Holocaust. I was born in Toronto. I went to school here, went to U of T, graduated in political science and economics with a year abroad in Strasbourg, as you mentioned. And my, my business is in Canada and the United States. I'm in the uh, souvenir business, postcards and souvenirs, which I started just over 40 years ago. That's from scratch and happily have done well enough to still be continuing. And uh, I spent uh, three years in Israel. I went to Israel as a socialist and was interested in finding out what uh, kibbutz life was because kibbutz was sort of democratic socialism. Of course, I went as well because I'm a Jew, raised as a Jew. I'm secular, have been for a long, long time, but came from a traditional family where we celebrated Jewish holidays. When my father was alive, we went to synagogue and um, I raised two children, uh, one of whom made Aliyah. That means he, he immigrated to Israel about two years ago. He's in Tel Aviv now. And... Um, being raised as a Jew, Israel has always been part of our connectivity to the world. Being Jewish is not just about the religion, it's about peoplehood. As a matter of fact, when Napoleon emancipated the Jews, so to speak, it was on condition that they give up their peoplehood and just be Jews, just be Jews in terms of religion. The Jews who try to assimilate in, in many countries, in Germany, we can, we can think most recently, so they presented themselves as Germans of the Jewish religion. They gave up their peoplehood in a sense, and then they found that the Germans didn't see them that way. The Germans saw them as Jews. In one of your previous broadcasts, you mentioned William Marr. Uh, you asked the question, well, what is a Semite? And, and was that a misnomer? And, and it probably, it, it was, but not for Wilhelm Marr, because for at that time, the only Semites the Germans were involved in were the Jews. And he, he may have coined the word anti-Semites, which we still use today, and it's probably not a great term, but it, it certainly refers to, uh, to Jews and only to Jews. As a matter of fact, I think that in common parlance, anti-Semitic, although it may not be technically accurate from a historical or linguistic point of view, certainly means anti-Jewish. Yes, and now there's a, uh, an organization that started a couple of years ago called End Jew Hatred. The, the people who founded that felt anti-Semitism, time to start to move away from the term anti-Semitism and, and get something clearer. There's the uh, perception that Jews control the world, control banking, control commerce, control, I don't know what else, uh, the Liberal Party. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood, and, and they do have great influence in Hollywood. But Jews, as growing up, we're expected to do the best we can do. I sent my two sons to karate class, and that was, you know, be the best, be the best that you can be. And, and we grew up that way. And, and also, Jews are literate. That's part of the religious process, because they have to learn to read the Torah in order to become bar mitzvah. Becoming bar mitzvah means becoming a man, becoming uh, responsible for your own deeds. And that, that requires reading, and it requires reading in a, in a different language. That means that we have to be literate, and there's a great stress on education and uh, on working hard. And 
that is part of why Jews are successful. So I don't know if that's illuminating or not, but... Uh, uh, well, it does speak to something that has always baffled me, but I, I have a, an answer to the question now. Uh, and that is that, I mean, I am not Jewish, right? Um, I was raised in a Catholic family, although one would describe me now as a lapsed Catholic. So as an outsider to this whole thing, although not denying my background, I could never understand why anybody would be anti-Jewish. I say, what is it about Judaism that you detest so much? Not that I've ever really met an anti-Semite or virulent anti-Semite. And there's really no answer that I could see other than historically they may have been outliers because they, religion allowed usury, interest on loans, so they became the bankers. And uh, also perhaps because of the, the phrase, the chosen people, which sounds to any outsider rather arrogant or hubris. So, I mean, other than that, that's a silly thing, <laughs> you know, because many no, not religions... Really. Not, not... It is and it isn't. Uh, let, let me let me speak to those two points. Please, I think they're interesting. Usury, yes. So Jews became uh, bankers because the Christians forced them into that Christian anti-Semitism. It started with Jews killed Christ, but ultimately there were all sorts of limitations on what Jews could do in Christian lands. They could not own land. This was paradoxically a result of Christian limitations on, on what Jews could do over the years. But they hardly control the world because, as we know, if, if Jews control the world, the Holocaust wouldn't have happened. But Jews never become non-Jews in the eyes of the Jewish community. You can be a lapsed Jew, and in a sense, in a sense I am, I'm a secular Jew, uh, but I'm still part of the Jewish people, uh, and I'm still thought of in those terms. So are Jews who even convert to another religion. They're still seen as part of the people who are misguided and have gone, gone the wrong way. But I, I hope that answers, answers your, your questions. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you touched on those things. But to me, it's not usury. It's not we are the chosen people. It's not that sense of community or being uh, a one people. It's, as Ayn Rand, a Jewess herself, lapsed <laughs> or secular. She herself said something to the effect of, it is hatred of the good for being the good. I saw a recent PragerU presentation by Stephen Harper, but he said at the end of it, why wouldn't I be a friend of Israel? And he laid out all of the accomplishments of Israel. And at the end, he says, the only reason I can think of why people would be against Israel is anti-Semitism. And I'm going, no, it's not simply that. To me, it is hatred of the good for being the good, because he just outlined all of the good elements <laughs> of Israel since 1948 and its founding, or 47. Then he's surrounded by not just Arab Muslim Palestinians hating Israel and Jews, but throughout history, people have hated Jews. History is replete with that kind of anti-Semitism. I'm trying to identify what is it about Judaism. And of course, it is, as you mentioned, hatred of the good for being the good. And it doesn't matter about race or religion. It is simply success. We see it today when people decry capitalism. 
Why? Because capitalism is the system that has brought prosperity to the most number of people. It is hatred of the good for being the good. So whether or not Israel was run or owned or controlled by Jews, it is a success story against all odds. And people, some people, hate that. That's my estimation. What do you think? I think you're onto something. It could be said in different ways, but I, I think that's, that's basically it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of JTV. Today, we're joined by Sohel Ahmed, who is currently a student at Cambridge University for Im studying immunology. However, here's where it, gets, where it gets even more interesting. He is a former Hamas supporter um, who even dreamed up a terrorist plot in central London at one time, but he has now been de-radicalized and condemns Hamas. And I'm so pleased to say that he joins us here on JTV today. So, Hel, thank you so much for making the time to be here with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. So why don't you start by just telling us, telling the viewers a bit about your background. How was it that you got sucked into being a Hamas supporter from, I believe, as early age as like six years old? So my radicalization story uh, began at six. So I was radicalized from that age by my parents, of all people. Um, they themselves had become radicalized by a family in the same tower block as us. And they, they essentially, and I'm, go I'm going to use this term, it's like they converted to a different religion almost, because previously they were kind of your bog standard kind of Muslims. And then they, there was this radical kind of change. Initially, the change was more in terms of appearance, more kind of cosmetic. And um, that in and of itself was, wasn't the issue, of course. Um, my mother started wearing the headscarf, then the hijab covering the whole body, then the niqab covering the face. Um, and eventually even using gloves uh, and socks to cover the hands and the feet. Um, and my, my, my father started growing a progressively larger beard, um, in and of itself, completely innocuous. But that's when the more troubling things or the more concerning things began. I started being taught that it is a duty upon every single Muslim to fight violent jihad, that there is a never-ending war between Muslims and non-Muslims, that Britain is the enemy, that you are living in enemy territory, um, that you should hate your country and you should hate all non-Muslims um, and you should live your life like that. Now, as a six-year-old who didn't have much kind of critical thinking capacity. I um, believed it. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I took sense. it wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, and there was one thing that I had, my first doubt did occur at that, around that age. My parents had told me not to be friends with non-Muslims. And they said, look, non-Muslims will pretend to be your friends, but they, they actually hate you. But I, I secretly had non-Muslim friends in school and I knew for a fact that they actually liked me for who I was. And that even, they when you were si even when you were six? 
Yes. And, and yes. You, so you weren't in a Muslim school? No, no, no. I was in a, um, a secular school, a state right. school. And after that, um, I kind of wondered, like, this something's up. Um, there's, there's this contradiction. But I, I kind of just pushed it back into the darkest, deepest recesses of my mind and just forgot about it. And this is, I'm going to say something which has never become easier. It's after all these years, it's, it hasn't become easier to say. But when I was around 16, 17, I began considering violence in my home city of London. This was during the drawdown of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And I remember going to all these mosques, attending all of them, and every single imam, every single preacher is saying, this is an extension of the never-ending war against Islam. They are attacking us because we are Muslims and they want to destroy the Muslim world. It is our duty to fight back. And this was being said openly in the mosques. Um, and so it, 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 con it concorded with the ideology I had been raised with. So I believed it. I believed that simply these wars, regardless of what you think about these foreign policy decisions, I think we can all agree that this wasn't a war just to kill Muslims, just for the sake of killing Muslims. Yeah. That's, that's utterly insane. But to my mind then, that wasn't insane. That made complete sense. Um, so you really believe so, that the Western governments just wanted to kill Muslims for the sake of that? Absolutely. And how did I make sense of that? And how do many Muslims make sense of that, unfortunately, is by believing in conspiracy theories. Because when your worldview is twisted, you have to twist reality to your own mind, yeah. the way you yeah. see it. And that's when all the conspiracy theories about the shadowy people, the shadowy elite at the top, the Jews run the world. That's a very popular one, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, um, <I've> heard. <laughs> and I, yeah, I am ashamed to say I believed in them. Um, and that is what led me down that path. Now, I never did anything illegal. And it's not the point of legality. It, that's not the point. The point is, is that I never harmed anyone. Had I actually harmed someone, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I genuinely mean that. Yeah. What stopped me, what pulled me back from the brink was my inner moral compass. Something was just telling me, this is wrong. Well, earlier this week, actor Marlon Brando met with Jewish leaders to apologize for comments he made on Larry King Live. Among them that, quote, Hollywood is run by Jews. The Jewish leaders accepted the actor's apology and announced that Brando is now free to work again. <laughs> I'm going to say something that may be a little controversial now, but a few people have commented and said, Germany has traded its Jews for an Arab underclass. I thought about that, and 
are they happy with that trade? The Jews were competitive with the Germans. German Jews held the highest ranks. Even, even the poet laureate of Germany at one time, uh, Heinrich Heine, was a Jew, which is amazing when you think of it. But there may be a preference for not having that competition. I did want to come back to your chosen people question. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that is, there, there's a story, and I, I wouldn't say it's uh, necessarily true, uh, but there, there's a story that uh, when God was deciding who to choose as his people, he went to various peoples, and he presented the laws, the commandments, and all the things that they would have to do. And he approached people X, and people X said, no, that's too tough. We don't want that. And people Y said the same thing, and, and the next people he went to said the same thing. And the Jews accepted it. I can't tell you why. So the chosenness has, I think, been misinterpreted as chosen because we are better than everyone else. No, that's not what we, we were chosen to carry the word of God. I think it's time that I bring up at least Theodore Herzl. He wrote um, the book now, Jewish State by Theodore Herzl, or in the original German, Der Judenstadt, because he was an Austrian German who back in uh, 1892, I think, wrote you know, the Jewish state, which he's considered one of the intellectual founding fathers, if you will, of the state of Israel. And he died long before, of course, it came to uh, fruition. But in here, he mentions the fact that um, he says, I say we are a people, because you talked about peoplehood, one people with one being capitalized, which I find interesting. And that that, that goes to the uh, we are the chosen people type of thing, the cultural traditions of Judaism being passed down, which gives you the ties to uh, the Middle East, to uh, Palestine, to Israel, to Canaan, whatever we want to call it, that area. But there's something here I want to quote to you and get your opinion on. But let me just quote you this. And Herzl is saying, however much I may worship individuality, I do not regret its disappearance. Whatever is unfit to survive can, will, and must be destroyed. But the distinctive nationality of Jews neither can, will, nor must be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed because external enemies consolidate it. It will not be destroyed. This it is. Uh, it has shown during 2,000 years of appalling suffering. So he's actually addressing the arguments against establishing a Jewish state. And one of the arguments against it is that it's tribalistic. You're going to give up your individuality to be amongst people, you know, of a tribe. So he's willing to do that. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I need to start by saying that I'm not an authority on, on Herzl. Ah. Herzl was not a religious Jew. He came from the Austro-Hungarian Empire where Jewish assimilation was very successful and very effective. And he was an assimilated Jew. And he had his eyes opened by the Dreyfus affair, where despite emancipation, Dreyfus was mischarged and served, uh, I think, a couple of years of the penalty before it was overturned. And that sort of woke uh, Herzl up to the fact that Jews will never be entirely safe in a non-Jewish country. And before October 7th, I would have said he was wrong. And uh, since October 7th and seeing what's happening in Canada, he may have been right. 
seeing what's happening here in the United States, where we thought freedom and democracy uh, would rule forever, and the universities, just unbelievable. So I, I can't tell you what Herzl was actually thinking, but Herzl wasn't the first Zionist. Herzl was the most famous Zionist, but Jews have been Zionists probably before Jesus' time. The Jews came from Judea, the Arabs came from Arabia. Now, you don't have to be a university graduate to understand that. As a matter of fact, if you are a university graduate, recently graduated, you may not understand that. But that is, in fact, that is, in fact, the case. So who are the occupiers of, we'll call it Palestine, which is so much in the news today? And what is Palestine? But of course, Palestine was given to the area from the by the Romans. I think it became a, a bastardization of the word Philistine, who are mostly the people around where the Gaza Strip is today. Her yes, one of the emperors changed the name of Judea, because of course it was referencing Jews, uh, to Palestine as an affront to them and the religion for not willing to accept the rule of Rome. Is, is that not correct? Yes, there, there was something called the Bar Kochva. That was the, the leader's name. Bar means son of. It was Hadrian, wasn't it? It was Hadrian, yes. Yes, okay. Some historians say now that the Romans changed the name to Palestine so that the world were, would forget that Jews ever existed. Palestine is an area on both sides of the Jordan. The exact borders have been uh, disputed, but nobody disputes that it includes the land that Jordan is on there. All of those things, I started looking for progressive Islam and liberal Islam. And I was convinced. And I, I became a very liberal Muslim. And slowly I began warming up to Israel too. Um, what were your views about, about Israel during, this, during your extreme phase? Yeah. Um, I hated Jewish people, unfortunately. It's, um, that's not easy to say. I'm deeply ashamed of it. Um, and I never said anything bad against a Jewish person. So I was always friendly. I was always kind of not kind of, you know, abusive or anything. But I was taught to hate Jewish people. And I was taught to hate and demonize Israel. Israel was this thing that was like the epitome of all evil. And like everything bad just came from the land called Israel. Um, so, like what? like what? What kind of things did you associate with Jews in Israel? I mean, for instance, um, Jewish people want to kill Palestinians and Muslims for the mere pleasure of killing them. Um, I mean that the the israeli um authorities are running the world and trying to destroy islam that um israeli intelligence is kind of almost like this godlike power in these conspiracy theories where they they kind of believe that anything that goes wrong in the world is and it kind of turns out to be harmful to the islamic world or to the world view of muslims that's always the the fault of the Jews. Just somehow they'll kind of make Did you believe connection. the Jews sort of had like a sort of 
quite a serious level of like power and influence and were like a very sort of sinister force and in some ways you felt threatened perhaps by them it sounds friggin insane but um yes i believe that so and what what was your specific relationship with uh hamas and being a hamas supporter because obviously this, this interview is is partly in light of you know october 7th and what's been happening since of course of course um thankfully i was never a member of hamas um but i was an ardent supporter i remember once um in university it was the islamic society um that was back in medical school those days um and I kind of was sitting there in the Islamic society and a guy just went, he was talking about Palestine and Israel. And one of the, the brothers, the, 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 the brothers went, he turned around and went, how dare you? It's all Israel's lies and the Kuffar are lying. Hamas is only, only defending itself. And he got really heated up too. And um, someone else kind of intervened and said, okay, we all have different opinions on this. Um, and I remember kind of going to pro-Palestine marches and kind of supporting Hamas. Not kind of, supporting them, actually supporting them. And um, I really thought that actually all the stuff that was said about them was actually Israeli lies, Israeli propaganda. Western you mean propaganda. stuff like, you know, they use human shields and they're really freedom fighters, all that kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. And when you kind of have a mindset where basically everything is automatically, anything against your worldview or your, or your ideology is automatically lies, it's very easy to just kind of confirmation by a state in your own path, kind of just keep going down that hmm. route. Um, that, that was my relationship with Hamas. Um, Israel genuinely is facing an existential threat. Yeah. That's real. That's not made up. That's not kind of used for political bargaining or, or as a football. That's real. I was one of them. I believed in this ideology. And so many of my, my fellow compatriots, my Muslim compatriots who thought like me, also agreed. And frankly, this was a often a majoritarian view within certain sects like Salafism. Like that, that opinion was unanimous. With that, that in those fatwas that was saying, yeah, make peace, but only if you want, if the goal is to deceive them to, in order to actually um, invade them later on. And that's when when I be, became de-radicalized, I realized two things. I realized firstly that the threat of Islamism is actually far more pervasive and far more serious and far more prevalent than anyone cares to admit. Secondly, to everyone going, oh, you know, um, the, 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 why doesn't Israel give the Palestinians a state? They don't at all understand the ideology, the religious ideology 
the theocratic ideology, the kind of violent ideology behind kind of a lot of the thinking that goes into it. Well, it's not just that, but also the question is how many Palestinians actually support it. So, for example, do you think there's widespread support for Hamas among the Palestinian population? Absolutely. <laughs> That's kind of like a given for me. Um, I mean, they were voted in and um, from all reports that I'm seeing, um, they hold Hamas has popular kind of support. Um, and what about the West Bank and Judea? Yeah. Even in the West Bank, unfortunately. Yeah. Even in the West Bank. And Fatah, the, the more moderates, who really aren't in really moderates, um, because they celebrate terror attacks and name streets after people who have killed Jewish and people. And pay families with terrorists, yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's just call, let's go with it. Let's call them moderates. Slightly <laughs> um, uh, less even... extreme. <laughs> And I'm not making, I'm not trying to tar everyone with a broad, broad brush because there are some individuals who are very more progressive, both religious and secular within the Palestinian territories. But unfortunately, they're the minority. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And our conversation with Irving Weisdorf continues. I don't see what the solution in Gaza is. It is not a question of land. It is a religious question for, for Muslims. And, we could, and, and I don't want to divide Muslims into the good Muslims and the bad Muslims. I, I don't like that at all. Uh, but there are the fundamentalist Muslims and, and the Muslims who just want to get on with their day-to-day -day life. Fundamentalism is still a very, very large segment of the Muslim population. As uh, my good friend Rahil Raza, who is a Muslim from Pakistan, has pointed out in an excellent video called By the Numbers. And I think everyone should, should watch it. I've seen it, yes. But there's never been a Palestinian state, a Palestinian Arab state. Palestine has never been the name of a country, and it still isn't. And that is the issue. So Gaza, what happened on October the 7th, that is the... Uh, modus operandi, and I, I say this very thoughtfully, that's the modus operandi of Islamic conquests, conquest by the sword. And you'll see some Islamic countries, the sword is on their flag. Sorry, you're bringing up an issue with me that, that strikes, and that is that if there is this recalcitrance on the part of Arab-Palestinian Muslims, to never, ever give up, ever, until the end of time. And there seems to be just as resolute position on the, on the part of uh, Jewish Israelis. And it is a religious issue. And of course, when it comes to religion, any sort of compromise is almost impossible. One does not compromise on their religious beliefs or their faith. If that is the case, perhaps then there's a, an alternate solution which would be um, uh, much along the line of Jerusalem was set aside, I think, at the end of the mandate to be an international city, neither Arab nor Jewish, neither Palestinian nor um, Israeli, to be fuzzy with the language. So maybe 
at some point in the future, given these two loggerheads going at it till the end of time with all of the carnage involved, the community of, of nations gets together and says, all right, guys, enough is enough. You know, a pox on both of your houses, we're moving in and we're going to occupy it until the end of time. <laughs> what do you think? Well, an interesting idea. The, the, pro the problem is we know that whenever the upholding of any solution has been given to the United Nations, which is terribly anti-Semitic, and I don't think you disagree with that, democratic countries, the, the biggest weakness of democratic countries is that the, the president or prime minister today is not going to be the president or prime minister tomorrow, and the, and the party may change, and they're not reliable as guarantors of uh, any solution, I don't think. I mean, it would be nice if they were, but, but they're not. I don't think the Jewish people, ha having gone through the, the, the Holocaust, I don't, I don't think they are going to be too welcoming of a solution that would put their lives in the hands of, uh, of the United Nations. Uh, yeah, I'm no fan of the United Nations either. However, I, I have to admit, as, as as far as it goes, it is the only organization that yeah. has any legitimacy in, in international relations, as much as I do not agree with most of their decisions. Let's move on to a question that's been bugging me as well, and we, we've referred to it earlier before, and that is, why after the Second World War with the atrocities that took place there, you had millions, literally millions, of Jews leaving Europe, I think it was about two million, going to countries, mostly the United States, where they could practice their religion in peace, because the United States guarantees that in their constitution. Yes, you're going to get skirmishes, you're going to get pockets of anti-Semitism here and there, but the law of the land is you can be whatever religion you want, and you can live in peace here in this country, and most, a lot, uh, the majority of the Jews from Europe went there to practice their religion in peace. Why would a smaller number go to Palestine, you know, and try to eke out a living in that desert, which, by the way, they made bloom, um, try to eke out a living in that desert surrounded by a people which did not particularly like them? Why would they? Why, uh, do they love <laughs> do they love this kind of conflict or what is it? Well, it didn't start out as a conflict and, and there was no reason for a conflict. They, they, bought, they bought land uh, legally under Turkish law be, while Turkey uh, controlled Palestine. And they, they moved there because that is the land of their forefathers. Now, now you, you also have to understand that the British didn't let Jews into the country. So when... Jews could have left Germany, and the final solution was exactly that. It, it was not the original solution. The original solution was to get the Jews out of Europe. And can you explain to us, for those who don't understand, what are the goals of Hamas? The goals of Hamas are within their constitution. It says, we want to kill Jews. We want to wipe Israel off the map. They don't want to diplomatically um, negotiate with the Israelis in terms of a peace settlement. They want to kill as many Jews as they can and wipe Israel off the map. There is no working with them.
when I was an extremist, I would read fatwas by the, um, the Salafi scholars, many uh, Hamas is formed of many Salafis. Um, and they would say, someone would ask, the question would be, uh, is it halal for us? To, is it permissible for us to um, negotiate a peace agreement with Israel to establish a Palestinian state? And the scholars unanimously were agreeing, yes, it's permissible, but only if your end goal is to become strong enough economically, politically, then militarily, so that eventually you can then invade Israel and take it over. You have to yep. lie to the Israelis. You have to lie to the Jews. And I think on, on, on Islam generally, I do want to, to point out that actually for a year or two, I was a very progressive Muslim. And um, that's the reason why I still consider myself to be a cultural Muslim, because I saw firsthand that Islam can be a beautiful religion that's open, that's, uh, that can coexist. Um, it doesn't have to be the version of Islam that I was raised with. It's just momentum and the anti-Semitism and this whole toxic far, and I'll, I, I'll refer to them as far left because that's what they are. This far left idea that somehow we should hate our own countries, hate the West because it's self, like in some self-flagellating manner, we're essentially saying, oh, we were guilty of, imperialism in the past therefore we are evil and we should suffer um and we should support the enemies of the of the west because they're fighting against u.s imperialism whatever that means um that's just highly toxic highly highly toxic and incredibly dangerous and i'm seeing that across universities uh, especially in the young population there's an issue I don't know how we're going to address this, but people are very much politically illiterate, I think, and people are come to very strong positions without much evidence kind of supporting their view. And yeah, I think that we essentially kind of need a philosophical revival in, in the West, um, where basically we need to rethink some of our political philosophies even the way we conceive of liberalism, because currently we have a loophole, which is that we should be so tolerant and open so as to allow for ideologies that are hostile to ours to fester, grow, and eventually replace liberalism. Yeah. That's self-defeating. And yeah. any ideology that is self-defeating doesn't deserve to exist. Yeah, of course. Now, I am a liberal, a classical type of liberal, um, I just believe in a very different type of liberalism. <laughs> and that's yeah. why I believe that our kind of philosophical thinking from, yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of outdated. We kind of had this utopian view of the world and we planned for that. And we thought, oh, you know, 
with multiculturalism, integration will be fine. You know, they will see the superiority of our ways and they will, they will integrate uh, and assimilate. Um, it's, it's not come to pass the way we thought it would. And I think our philosophical thinking and our political thinking needs to be updated. And for that to happen, we need a revival, a uh, political and philosophical revival in the West. As I said, I, I lived in, in Israel for uh, three years and I came back to Canada. I didn't find my place there. Uh, I gave up on socialism, which had, was half of why I, I went there. And one can be a Jew in the, in the diaspora and I love Canada and it's a great country. At least it was until Trudeau came to power. Let's talk about that because I'm I'm perplexed in a sense. Well, not not really, but I mean, it struck me as odd that in concert, every single Western leader came down on the side of Israel after October 7th, or I should say on, on October 7th, which was early in the morning. Apparently then on October the 8th, the rhetoric subsided a bit when all of these Palestinian pro-Hamas pro-terrorists, people hit the streets in the university campuses. Um, and then you saw Trudeau um, backtrack and then try to sit on both sides of the fence at the same time. What is your impression, if we could talk about October 7th for a moment, what is your impression of the West's response to the atrocities? R realizing, of course, that there is a fog of war. I know that there are things that are disputable as far as details here and there, but I think we can both agree on the general story and narrative, and that is that on October 7th, over a thousand Hamas terrorists, not soldiers, terrorists, invaded uh, Israel and committed absolute war crime atrocities. And I, would, I, I, I almost don't want to use the word war crime because that's usually associated with a state and Gaza is not a state, and Hamas are not soldiers. So what is your response to the response from our countries? It was very disappointing. Nobody was calling for the, the mass murder of Canadian Jews. So I'm, I, I don't want my, my comment to be misinterpreted. But there was sort of an underlying anti-Semitism that came from I don't know where. Trudeau, I, I, I don't have a great deal of respect for Trudeau, I must say. So I, I, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I haven't always been a conservative, but I have been for quite some time, a conservative party conservative. You could ask the, the, the same question, why is Trudeau permitting so much immigration and permitting immigration from places whose immigrants are not likely to hold the same values as Canadian values? And I don't understand that other than he sees these people as future votes. Could I interject and perhaps offer an explanation the way I see it? And that is that, again, these globalists, these um, posers uh, as leaders of nation states here in the West hate, um, it's a, a oikophobia is the word, a hatred of your own house, a hatred of your own nation, a hatred of the good for being the good. Canada was good for all its faults. Same with the United States for all its faults. And it has many. Uh, as an exemplar of good in the worlds of nation states, world of nation states. So um, we saw these globalists, these leftists, these progressives, these um, narcissists, these nihilists, you know, 
get up, get out your thesaurus, whatever you want to call them. These people are not good people. They're evil people. They want to destroy the good because it is good. Canada was good. And to some degree, it still is, though they're trying their darndest to destroy it by allowing immigration, massive, massive, unvetted immigration of people, as you say, who do not share those values that made Canada and the United States good places to live. This is not to disparage those people who are coming in, of course, who um, do agree with our values, and there are many. But in general, I would say that this immigration, massive as it is, especially in the southern border of the United States, is a by design to destroy their, their respective countries, Canada and the United States, and in Europe as well. It is a deliberate destruction of the West for being good. Yeah, it's it's very sad. I, I read yesterday that Germany brought in a million refugees from Syria. Now, Germany has a certain, let's say, pain in its heart for what happened in the Second World War. And they're trying to compensate for that. And, and, and I think they overcompensate. They also felt that they wanted, and, and this is from conversations with German friends. I, I spent some time in Germany. And they, they felt that nationalism had gone wild and they wanted to almost destroy the concept of a nation state, which they in fact have almost succeeded in doing to their detriment because there was much good in, in Germany. They're not born bad, but they are raised and taught to hate the values that we cherish. Uh, because jihad, J-I-H-A-D, for any of your listeners who don't haven't heard the word, jihad is part of their faith. Jihad is world conquest. It's part of their faith. And we don't want to think that we project our own values onto other people. We, how, can, how can people not want to live in peace? How can people not want their children to grow up and be healthy and successful and also live in peace? But there are concepts, sadly, in, in Islam, where being a martyr is a good thing. Well, you could say that Jesus was a martyr, but that's a stretch, I guess. No, no, that's not the same, because because no. if Jesus was a martyr, he, his, his parents didn't, didn't raise him to be a martyr. So I, I come back to the fact that uh, this is a religious war. And people in our country, sadly, in North America, don't want to talk about that. And I'm sure I'll be labeled Islamophobic because of my comments, and I'm not. But that's the reality. The, the value system is very, is very different. Now, I, I said I wanted to connect that to something, and that is United Nations has a refugee organization that works to help all refugees. But for some reason, it created a very special agency, UNRWA. And UNRWA runs the schools in Gaza. And the schools in Gaza teach, grade three, if you have 10 Jews and you kill four of them, how many do you have left? This is what's taught. This is what's taught to grade threes in these schools that Trudeau just sent more money. And the UNRWA is connected to Hamas, the Hamas members run it, essentially. Everybody knows it. Not hate Israelis, it's Jews, and to kill Jews. That's what they're taught. And we finance that. I think we, we have to talk realistically. Uh, 
I don't think uh, a United Nations solution is realistic. I don't think a one-state solution is realistic because look what happened to how many Christians are there in Lebanon? I know lots of Christians and Lebanese Christians in Canada. They all had to move because it was there, there was a civil war because there was jihad, and that is what you get when there is uh, sadly uh, a significant Muslim population that are fundamentalists. You mentioned about being labeled as Islamophobic. But I see people being labeled when they criticize uh, Benjamin Netanyahu or the tactics of Israel currently at post October 7th, or even you know settling in the West Bank post 67 war. All of these criticisms of the political decisions of the Israeli government, people might might lash out and say, well, you're anti-Semitic, you're anti-Semitic, you're anti-Semite, you're anti-Jewish. When of course in my estimation, I think that all political action is fair game for comment and criticism. What are your thoughts on using that slur, which sounds to me just like the racist slur that leftists dole out, you know, like there's no tomorrow. Like if you disagree with something, you're a racist. I agree with you, Robert. I think all political decisions are fair game, but they have to be also reasonable. There's a, a movement among Israeli leftists and it's supported by American leftists, both Jewish and not Jewish, to get rid of Benjamin Netanyahu. And we saw that in the demonstrations against judicial reform in Israel. And the judicial reform bills, for the most part, would have brought Israel in line with Canada. But essentially, they were very reasonable. Uh, but the, the goal of the leftists was to bring Netanyahu down. Netanyahu is not a right-wing crazy. He's maybe a Pierre Poilievre, he's uh, uh, Stephen Harper, He's he was a great finance minister. He actually talked about a two-state solution um, during Obama's period, but he's come to, I think he's come to realize that, that the two-state solution would be an existential threat for Israel, and I, I don't think he, uh, he, he stands by it today. There are also some people who are saying, well, you know, He's doing all this because he's up on bribery charges. Well, the bribery charges are similar to the, the charges against some of the charges against uh, Donald Trump. He, no, bogus. Accepted, he accepted a bottle of wine from somebody, and this is right. I mean, it, they're ridiculous. They're ridiculous. And it's fair game. I don't think anyone's an anti-Semite for, for saying that this isn't the best way or that isn't the best way. Uh, but they should, before saying that, I would I would ask that they really investigate what they're talking about and know what they're they're talking about That's and it. and on the same by the same token we should not label people as islamophobic simply because we disagree with some of the political elements um of certain muslims certainly not all no religion is monolithic no and right. so you had to be very specific. This is, I find this all the time, and I've been criticized for it all the time and speaking in generalities, like Jews are this, Muslims are this, Catholics are this, you know, and then you get slammed for saying, well, I'm not like that, and I'm a, a Muslim, and I'm not like that, and I'm a Jew. So we have to be very careful and very specific, um, otherwise we do risk these these labels, these smears coming out and this deflecting from the real debate. Yes, yes. And, and real debate is really important. For one thing, debate clarifies things for both sides. When there have been demonstrations 
in favor of Hamas, knowing what Hamas did. And like, how is that possible in Canada? I just, I just don't understand. Ignorance. I, I saw a video of a person on the street, um, an elderly woman, well, elderly, 50s maybe, younger than me. So anyway, she was waving the Palestinian flag saying, from the nation to the sea. And a man goes up to her and says, from the nation to the sea? What nation? Um, oh, no, from the mountains to the sea. Really? What mountains? This is almost literal. And then she goes, from the river to the sea. That's it, from the river to the sea. And he goes, what's the name of the river? And she couldn't answer. This is what we're dealing with, I think, to a great degree. Certainly there are people who are pure evil, knows what Hamas did and supported yeah, no doubt about it. But I would say and venture to guess that the majority of everybody you're seeing on the street waving Hamas flags or having the the scarf of um, Yasser Arafat and the PLO around their neck or um, waving the Palestinian flag or banner, I should say, considering it is not a nation, <laughs> the Palestinian banner, have no idea where Palestine is, what the conflict is about, where the Jordan River is, the historical context of all of this that you and I have been discussing, they have no idea. And yet they're willing to go out there and try to push the political narrative in one direction out of pure ignorance. What do you think? Yeah, it's either ignorance or or evil. Uh, I think I think those are the only two choices that you could have. Any final comments then, Irving? We, we have to get the public to understand that, uh, first of all, Israel's not an apartheid state. Uh, Israelis, uh, Israeli Arabs uh, vote. Uh, they have candidates. There's one on the, there's an Arab on the Supreme Court. They're in all the hospitals. They get the same service, et cetera, et cetera, as, as, as Jewish Israelis. So uh, it, it's, it's, again, one of the big lies. But the Israeli Arabs, the, the Arabs who are citizens of Israel, are not that unhappy uh, in, in reality. They have, they have freedoms that they wouldn't have in any other Muslim country. And I appreciate uh, your giving me the opportunity to, uh, to chat. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, and, and uh, I hope uh, my comments are interesting to uh, the audience. And, uh, and that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I do appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Debate clarifies things for both sides, correctly notes our guest, Irving Weisdorf. And that's certainly a solution for the innocently ignorant and for those who want to see the truth. But of course, the great dilemma, as always, originates with those who do not wish to have clarity. And whenever you run into any individual, group, or interest that seeks to keep things confused and unclear, then you know that you are dealing with evil. And perhaps evil itself might be defined as the hatred of the good for being the good. Something to think about between now and our next get-together next week, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. <laughs> hey, it is cavity time. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah, uh, here we go. That which reminds me, did you hear the one about the rabbi and the farmer's daughter? Huh? <laughs> hey, ah. <laughs>
Those aren't matzo balls. <laughs> what? Tim, do you think you should be making jokes like that? Why not? I'm Jewish, remember? I know, but... Jerry, it's our sense of humor that sustained us as a people for 3,000 years. 5,000. 5,000, even better. Ah, uh, ah. Uh.